So I'm interviewing men and women for PTSD and they're going back into their communities, trying to keep quiet about what's going on in their head, the nightmares they're having at night. Because the last thing they want to be is a veteran with baggage. Mm. And the community is like, oh, how nice. Look, we have all these veterans without baggage. But what we're neglecting to see is Mm. that war injures people. Hey, welcome back to Homebase Nation. This is Ron Hirschberg, your host. Dr. Pam Hall is my guest, and I'm really excited to introduce her. Pam is a forensic and clinical psychologist. She sat with almost 7,000 veterans for VA benefits examinations. And she's written a new book called PTSD Unplugged, How to Leave the War Behind Us. Dr. Pam is a qualified medical examiner for the state of California since 2013. And she's been in the psychology field for about 40 years. Pam's new book breaks down PTSD. It explains to all audiences, from veterans to families to clinicians. I learned a lot from this book. She talks about trauma memory, that's something at the core of her work, and she connects this to the idea of recovery and how it works or how it doesn't work. One of the many things I took from this book was the simple but very true concept. She writes, recovery from PTSD is hard, living with PTSD is harder. So thanks so much for joining us on the show. Um, I'm happy to play the conversation that was recorded in the end of August, just a couple months after Dr. Pam's book was released. Um, It was also just a few weeks before our 12th annual Run to Home Base. So after our chat, Pam actually signed up for the Run to Home Base with her colleagues together virtually across the country. So thanks so much to all of you who did that to raise the funds for the care here at Home Base. Thanks, Pam, and thanks for listening, everybody. experience uh, for 40 years in psychology. Um, And during that time, you said in 13 years, you've been working with veterans specifically on post-traumatic stress. Um, And I know you have forensic experience too. You put this book together and uh, not only is it helpful for um, folks to, as a guidebook um, that are going through combat stress, um, but as I said, clinicians and sort of the, the, uh, the outside world, um, you talk a lot about the, you know, what is post-traumatic stress disorder and what is not. And it's not, it's not only such a complicated diagnosis, but what was really, um, Im- impactful to me was when you talked about, there's a memory, there's a trauma memory that needs to be addressed here. And you also talk about how you also talk about trauma memory starts at a certain point. It's not like other DSM four or five diagnoses that we're born with or that we accumulate over time. Right. It's a, this is something that starts on day one after an injury. The idea of trauma memory is really a big reason why I wanted to get into the discussion Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think the discussion about getting better from trauma injury, uh, is diverted often into approaches that 
work very well when we're talking about genetic predispositions or I'm uh, depressed because I lost my job or um, the things that really leave the brain intact, you know, leave, leave us with all of our faculties just a little, just depressed, mm. maybe a lot depressed or maybe a lot anxious or a little anxious, but we still have all of our faculties to be able to go after that. Right. The problem to me in PTSD that makes it so difficult and where PTSD has gotten the rap of being the thing you don't recover from um, is because of how trauma memory affects a person's ability to kind of think their way out of it. Right. So when trauma memory is active, our, there are parts of our brain that we are less able to, you know, use. Um, we don't reason as well. We go into survival mode where, um, you know, we're watching for dangers. We're not ready for a conversation. We don't want... Mm-hmm. You know, we're not ready for insight. In fact, prior to working with veterans, I had been working with civilian survivors of assault, criminal activity, um, Mm. natural disasters. I was involved with a group of people who were transplanted to Los Angeles after Hurricane Katrina. Um, You know, folks who are exposed to other kinds of trauma other than war and I approached these treatment opportunities, uh, you know, to be the therapist in this situation with the same kind of thought, well, let's get some insight about what happened and why it's bothering you still. Hmm. Um, Well, what happened was something horrible and insight only gets you to the point of saying, yeah, God, that was a horrible thing that happened. Um, but your brain is still affected by it. You're, you're still automatically yeah. transported into survival mode when you start talking about it. So this And when you have a, external factors when, that trigger it. That's right. Yes. When things around you are, you know, smell like, sound like, look like the Trauma memory is a sensory memory. It's not like any other kind of memory. And so as I have seen my profession, well, I just wanted to contribute to a better conversation about how sensory member really derails, sensory memory really derails people. And it derails your ability to bounce back. You make a dichotomy in the book. You talk about how there is awful things like a pandemic. There's awful things that happen to us that are not violent. Um, And so to me, I think that that really helps um, when we describe how maybe post-traumatic stress in wartime is very similar to natural disaster, but not towards other type of stress. Um, Right. And so when you work with people over the years that have had like you said, Hurricane Katrina or other trauma, um, do you find that they're functioning in their daily life, work, play, what have you, relationships are similar, similarly, are similar affected? I can't say similarly, but anyway. Yeah, they have, well, there, there are words you have to skip over in life sometimes. <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> is, there a, is, is there a similar type of... Um, uh, way that they uh, impairment that they have as they try to engage in regular right. life. 
Yeah, I think that's where we get our diagnostic patterns from. Hmm. You know, the pattern is the pat um, the pattern of PTSD is uh, what happens when your survival mechanism is overactive. If you think that the world is now something not to live through, but to survive from, hmm. that's a big difference, huh? Yeah. Um, yeah. If I wake up in the morning and ask myself, how am I going to survive today? That leads to a very different outlook, a de- different way of approaching the day than if I wake up in the morning thinking, how am I going to live today? So, um What I think has been interesting is how we can see in spec scans, PET scans, um, there's this activation process that occurs. Um, We've we've used the word trigger for a long time, um, a triggered memory. It's more than a triggered memory. It's Mm -hmm. an activated survival system. Right. And then that's what a person is coping with all day. So they go through their day not really seeing anything dangerous going on and yet they're still reacting as if things are dangerous so they feel weird <laughs> people look at them like what you're overreacting why are you overreacting this way where's your you know where's your moderation hmm. and you know it just leads to this sort of persistent agitation feeling like people don't get what's going on with me i don't get what's going on with me yeah, and it, yeah. it leads to more avoidance and um, right. sort of uh, dialing back and uh, staying at home when right. um, it's the easier path. Staying in the safe places, you know, um, and and staying with safe emotional range. So um, we can't hang out with people who are too intense. Um, we, you know, you don't want to get into arguments because it'll pop this survival mechanism open again. So the fewer people around me, the better. Right. I want to stay in locations that are familiar to me where there are no surprises so that I'm not startled or Mm -hmm. I don't have to, you know, figure out is this restaurant safe? Is this motorcycle club safe? Is this, you know, is this what's going to happen in this ball game. So I'm not going to ball games. I'm not going to the grocery store. I'm staying home because it's predictable and I can stay in mid zone on in the, in moderate emotions. Cause even folks with PTSD, they don't want to feel these extreme feelings or emotions either. Why wouldn't you try to avoid anything that's going to pop you into some regrettable agitation being at home and avoiding the baseball game and getting out to the grocery store um especially during the pandemic it's kind of ironic right because you have people in stay home orders um so do you think that some of your patients have said well this is what i prefer to do or the way i've lived anyway um has that come up in some of your conversations Oh, only almost every appointment, especially because uh, because I do forensics. So what forensic psychology is, is you're, you're asked, you know, what's going on and why is it going on? So what's the cause of somebody's emotional distress? So during this period of 
COVID, this has been an extra question that gets asked all the time. So how is COVID affecting you personally, your family? And almost to a T, people say, I'm really happy with COVID because I have fewer invitations that I have to turn down. Hmm. And, you know, nobody expects me to go. Nobody's missing me at the grocery store or the coffee house or Hmm. because nobody's there. So I don't have to go. They don't have to go. I'm happy. Mm. Um, now that we're launching again, mm. so now we're having actually, I'm hearing more tinges of what we call agoraphobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. Like agoraphobia is the fancy word for, I can't even push myself to get out the door. Or I'm sitting in my car in the parking lot at the grocery store knowing I could go in and just pick something up, but huh. I can't even get out of the car. So is I'm it like too, a, I'm too anxious. Huh. I'm too anxious. Yeah. Is that a secondary agoraphobia effect that's happening? Um, in addition to people being av- uh, avoiding and isolated? Yeah, I, I, I think it's uh, agoraphobia is like avoidance on steroids. Yeah. Maybe. And <laughs> I hope it's just going to be a passing phase. People yeah. will be able to push past it. Um, but avoidance, I mean, it gets a pretty bad rap, um, but it is a way to keep the waters calm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe even enjoy yourself at home. But my, what I know, though, is that avoidance is not getting anybody anywhere. This is how I think of yeah. it with, with our military folks and vets. Look, they go around the world making sure we can have all the freedom to walk outside of our door and never worry about a sniper or an IED or, you know, we can, I can go anywhere I want to go really and not worry about a terrorist attack. Although they'll tell me I should be worried every time I walk out the door, but I don't Mm -hmm. because I know that they've kept and maintained a certain safety in our country. So here I can go anywhere. My, my boundaries are practically endless and their boundaries become tighter and tighter and tighter until they're locked in homes. So what have they been fighting for my freedom, but not theirs at the, at the cost of their freedom. So I am just regularly, almost daily grateful for the freedom that I have in this country. And I'm sure other people in other countries um, who operated as we do feel the same way, you know, um, or we could, if we were aware, what really ensures for us this environment of safety that we actually live in. So I'm excited to announce the seventh annual home-based no-shave campaign. This is a way to raise awareness and funds for the life-saving care that Homebase provides to veterans and their families. This campaign has raised over $1 million to fund critical mental health and brain injury care. So it's simple. You need to pledge 100 bucks to forego all shaving for the month of November. Yes, no shaving. Or for those supporters who are not going through with no shaving for the month of November, you can get your lapel pin in order to bring up that conversation, raise awareness, uh, break the stigma associated with post-traumatic stress and the invisible wounds of war. So go to the website, homebase.org slash no shave. It will give you instructions on how to sign up, whether you're a police department, fire department, individual or other organization. Thank you so much for your support. And uh, we hope to see you uh, beard or no beard soon. 
I noticed that you come from a military family. You've had you had a dedication in the book to relatives, right? Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, grandfather, cousin, others, right? And uh, from World War II, Vietnam. And I wonder how um, how that affected you, and, and was is was this a, an impetus to to go and create the book? Uh, was it was it actually did it start a long time before, and why you went into this field? Or well, I would say I'm the accidental PTSD treatment provider. Actually, um, it seemed to be what I could work with, and I first did most of my work in the area of of intimate partner violence and other kinds of assault. Um, but let's, you know, the quick way back machine goes to the early seventies, really when my cousin returned from Vietnam. Um, and, uh, we, the family experienced his service. And I have to say he was the funniest person before he left. And he still is a funny guy. But you, at least for me, uh, with all the feelers that somebody who has empathy for others has, I could always see his pain when he came home. Well, it was about eight years later that I started my graduate degree in psychology. And right. it was 1981. And this PTSD diagnosis had just shown up in the diagnostic manual. So we were all learning hmm. about it. But as I was reading it, my earliest memory of PTSD is, oh, that's, that's what's going on. That's him. That's what's going on. So, you know, time moves on. I was working with intimate partner violence and salt and became known in my local area as somebody who does a lot of work with PTSD. And um, somehow I got connected to QTC management, which hmm. is this um, benefits examination uh, corporations been around for decades and decades. And I started doing some exams for QTC. Um, and then in, uh, in 2008, mm -hmm. and I did them sometimes and um, maybe uh, one or two a month. And, and then in 2011, I was resorting what I wanted to do. And they asked me if I would do it more and come to their clinics and do it more. And I thought, well, yes, I would like to do that. And in mm. 2011, I took up a couple of days a week doing more exams as a different thing to do. I like doing assessment. I'm pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. And I know PTSD. So I thought I could do a mm. fair job. Um, and I told myself, look, at, you got to do this for QTC until our last guys are out of Iraq and Afghanistan. Wow. And six I know. Is it a uh, six thousand veterans later? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've we'll dealt. Push, you've seen a pushing, few pushing over six thousand, closer to seven thousand at this point. It's been a really kind of a full time job. Well, it's been a full time job in energy and devotion, and uh, yeah, like somewhere around in fourteen, I decided. Well, okay, this war is not ending anytime soon. And I just really want to know the scope of this problem, because when I started doing it, I thought some of these um, stigmas were, I didn't know if they were true. Would mm. these men and women be mm. faking it? And so I pretty quickly discovered, no, they weren't faking it. In fact, when they came into the room, it was the last place they wanted to be. 
in the psychology examination talking about PTSD. It wasn't until 2013 that I started seeing vets from 2003, from the, from the beginning of the war. And then it's been that pattern since then. And I'll tell you what, hmm. like 10-year delay, 10-year delay of reporting. And what eventually made me write this book was that in every appointment, I would say, so what do you know about PTSD? Have you looked it up on the internet? Hmm. No, they're not looking it up. They're not investigating. They don't want it. They want to stay as far away from those four letters as they possibly could. So that meant they didn't know what to look for in treatment. They didn't know what medication might be useful or not useful. They So they en- would enter treatment with no information about what to expect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's really what motivated me to write the book. So I would say the book is an accumulation of 6,000 sure. conversations. <laughs> exactly. this, is, this is what I think you folk need to know about so that you are informed. That's translation. It's not just sort of this academic yeah. book on the shelf. Yeah. You are yeah. translating it to to people, and that that is how it works. I think. I'm so glad that comes across because of the passion in me is um, I witnessed the returnees from Vietnam as a young teenager going into my 20s and 30s, and it and I'm witnessing a similar neglect. Maybe not the negativity that was there, but there's a neglect and we can't do it again with another generation. I know what you're saying, but describe that more, please. So, you know, we live in we live in a community where if you go to work and you do a good job and you live in your home and you don't bother other people, well, then you're considered a good community member. You know, (laughs) just don't bother anybody. You know, let's let's get together and have a good time. But anybody with too much baggage, air quotes all around that, <laughs> too much baggage, uh, probably not going to get together with you very often. So here we have our men and women both. And this was the first military action where women were in the vehicles, driving the roads, directly involved in combat action. Mm -hmm. So I'm interviewing men and women for PTSD. And they're going back into their communities trying to keep quiet about what's going on in their head, the nightmares they're having at night, because the last thing they want to be is a veteran with baggage. Mm And the community is like, oh, how nice. Look, we have all these veterans without baggage. But what we're neglecting to see is that war injures people. Yeah. We know it does. We see it happening. We avoid the topic, you know. So you Uh, have people that don't want to talk about it from the outside. The, 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 uh, the community that they come back into and they don't want it. They neglect it and they don't want to acknowledge it. Mm. But then you, ironically, you have the veteran himself or herself that may not even want to talk about it. And so what's that balance of like, you know, how do you sit down with somebody and dive in without it getting triggered 
And that I know is a whole conversation. That's why, you know, people like you do what you do. I mean, it's takes a long time. Yeah. Um, so here comes that blame, shame, you know, if you're mm -hmm. still bothered by the war, then, you know, maybe you're not such a tough guy. Um, if, if you're still bothered by the war, well, maybe you were too weak, you know, so the blame and the shame and then the folks themselves, I mean, they've been doing things downrange that they think if they tell people what they did while they were in Iraq or Afghanistan, Afghanistan, how is that going to change how somebody looks at them? Yeah. The one question they hate getting is, have you shot anybody? And so I tell people, never ask that question. That question's off limits. Yeah, yeah. Because if somebody really wants to tell you, they will tell you. But you don't ever get to ask somebody that particular question. So anyway, I have very strong opinions about some of these things. But what I would like to do, my next step, mm -hmm. and it's already beginning in the book, um, how do we reconnect? Well, if a civilian wants to eventually hear about the war, they better know what it's like to be in the military. So I, so I provide a, a couple pages of here's yep. some stuff you just don't even know about. What was it like to live on base? Who were your buddies in boot camp? Um, how did you ever go to medical? When you were downrange, did you go out on the town? Did you stay behind? If you're a female, were you required to wear a, you know, to wear head coverings while you're, there's just a fund of information. Right, right. That after talking with 6,000 people, you know, <laughs> you just get little snippets of what it's like, which kind of helps you know what the environment is like. So the, so the culture, the military culture is very different culture than the civilian culture. Yeah, well, um, you're serving yeah. I mean, what we talk about all the time on this podcast. I mean, you're 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 serving those who serve. I mean, what you're doing is you're you're the conduit for uh, some of this translation, and yeah. it's important. Yeah, we've had a um, a good relationship with the VA over the years, and um, there's a lot that the VA unfortunately has had so much flack for many things over the years, and and. Uh, um, that's unfortunate because they do really great work in many areas. Um, Absolutely. And so, you know, we, we have a nice partnership where um, if there's folks that, that, uh, that want to be referred to an intensive program, we, we are, our doors open and, and that's where the screening comes in and they have a disability, um, uh, you know, preaching to the choir, the stuff that you've been involved in right, right. Um, sort of opens the gate and then they can come over to home base and work with us on the, in the program. So what do you think the best approach is for sort of, uh, I would say a moderate PTSD? Yeah. What, what well, is kind of like your, your secret sauce? Right. Thanks for that, that moderate idea. So here's what I think. I think actually that most people with PTSD symptoms have what I think of as mild to moderate symptoms, meaning that they're mild symptoms when trauma memory is not activated and moderate symptoms when trauma memory is activated. Mm -hmm. So, so when that memory of danger is in the forefront, then the survival reactivity is stronger and it's more difficult to negotiate civilian life, mm -hmm. um, peaceful life. 
because you can't approach it with an assumption of peace when that memory is activated. So I have seen people get better from this. I would not still be doing work in PTSD if, you know, nobody got better. I, I think PTSD recovery has to hit several areas almost simultaneously. Mm. Um, one, and n- none of these are more important than the other. It really sure. just has to be simultaneous because of the brain impact and social impact. So one, people have to get connected to people who get it. Yeah. You know, so. Sounds right. sounds simple, but just, just so really, essential. So two, to really be able to understand trauma memory so that the people you're connected to understand that you have a moment in time, frozen in time, that can come and terrorize you about any moment. And uh, well, you can begin to understand what um, pops that sucker open, mm. you know, um, mm-hmm. so you can avoid some things that pop it open. But ultimately, you want to go out and see the Red Sox, maybe beat the Yankees anyways. <laughs> so you want to be able to get out and do your life. Um, right. So three, getting out and doing your life. Um, and, and four, getting some damn sleep. So, so connections with people, doing something about that trauma memory, that's the trickiest part. Yeah. Getting out and doing things again. This is where therapists tend to hover, Mm -hmm. actually, um, uh, doing what is traditionally called systematic desensitization, um, which doesn't work so great because of trauma memory. So um, could you call that in vivo or no in vivo? Yeah. 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 Go to the ball game and do what? So calm, keep yourself calm. Uh, What if uh, fireworks suddenly explodes because there's a home run. Now you have uh, an explosion at a ball game, activated trauma memory. That person sitting in that stadium is going to have a really hard time coming out of that trauma memory. So um, learning mm. how to anchor yourself in your current environment. Right. Does this sound as complicated as it is? Cause I hope it does. Yeah. I mean, it's, I like the, is, yeah. well, I like the fact <laughs> yeah. that you use the real life example, not to mention that it's a baseball. It's a, sort of this classic <laughs> American example with yeah. real sights and sounds and smells um, right. you know, that's, right. yeah, that's, that's, that's a great way to think about this. You say in the book, it is hard to recover from PTSD, but living with PTSD is harder. Yeah. And that I think really sums up so much of this. Yeah. Recovery is possible. Not easy to do, but you can yeah. living with it is much harder. I think it's hard. And then focusing on our military and there was a certain mission that these folks signed up to do is their career to go in and do this mission and missions over. Yeah. Come on home. Right. Um, There's a great guy named Ben Keloy who talks about how the mission after the military is family and children. So Mm -hmm. some guys um, and gals 
come home and need to reset their mission to their families. And honestly, it is their family relationships that eventually makes them come in and say something's going on. I sure we see that every day at home base. Yeah. You're right. My kids, I don't, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better wife. I want to be a better mother, you know? Um, yeah. Yeah. I like how you say reset the mission. That could be the title for the next book. Well, yeah. You heard it here. Um, uh, um, I barely got done writing that one. No. Uh, well, I know that purpose is lack of purpose keeps people in these symptoms. Hmm. And so refocusing to a sense of purpose. What's the next mission? Um, what is the next mission? Yeah. So it may not be a military mission and none of us can save the world. But purpose, purpose is key. What's our purpose now? Yeah. Next mission. Reset the mission. I'm going to write it down because, you know, titles are hard to come by. Purpose, mission. (laughs) I like it. Dr. Pam Hall, you know, um, thanks for your time. And I want to thank you for all you've done for our veterans and for writing this book. Yeah. Well, I'm honored and I appreciate, I really appreciate the invitation and, very exciting to find people who are doing things that I can tell these vets about. I have told vets about home base in the last couple of months, like oh, good. gang bus several times <laughs> a week. So, oh, yeah. Great. So nice to talk with you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Dr. Ron. You got Appreciate it, Dr. It. Pam. <laughs> All right. Have a good one. You too. Many thanks to Dr. Pam Hall, my guest today. You've really devoted years of your own service to our servicemen and women who've experienced trauma and stress in their lives. So definitely check out Pam's new book, PTSD Unplugged. Uh, You can get it in the episode notes uh, for direct links in Barnes & Noble or Pam's site, of course. Um, Remember, if you want to sign up for the November No Shave to directly support the care of our veterans and military families at Homebase, please sign up, homebase.org slash noshave. And if you're a local or in New England, um, check out the televent that's going to be Veterans Day, November 11th, 2021 um, on ABC or Channel 5 WCVB. You can see how you can support our veterans and military families um, and give to Homebase. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't already, please subscribe to us at Homebase Nation, uh, wherever you listen, and please write a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. This episode was co-produced and edited by Lucy Little. I'm Ron Hirschberg, your host. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time.